With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like an insect hotel that a church built. And when it was installed in the church's garden, all the lone bugs of the old town came and found shelter in its nooks and crannies. Isn't that a lovely close-to-home image to accompany our reading from the Gospel of Mark this morning? It's a local Borg de Four 21st century parable to pair with Jesus' teachings from long ago and far away. Right. Except that's not exactly what happened in our church garden. <laughs> Some of you will remember that during the season of Advent in 2019, our congregation built an insect hotel as part of worship. Each Sunday we added something else, first the frame, and then the room dividers, and then all these tubes and blocks. We built the structure lovingly as an image of making space for Christ in our lives in that season. And when spring came, Jonathan fixed it to a tree in the garden facing out into the Bourg de Four with an inviting sign on the front, the Emmanuel B&B, some of you will remember. We made it as welcoming as we could. And every so often through the spring and summer, I would check the hotel for signs of tenants. I peeked in at all these little spaces, just waiting for somebody to come and stay, hoping for some sign of occupancy. But no, the months and the seasons went by and the hotel stayed vacant with not so much as one solitary bee hanging around. So maybe that's not, in fact, the best image to accompany our readings from the Gospel of Mark today. We have two parables from Jesus this morning. And parables are stories or images used in teaching. And of course, they were one of Jesus' favorite ways of teaching. Mark tells us he did not speak except in parables. He taught this way all the time. You don't have to read very much of the Gospels to see that Jesus' parables varied greatly. Some were long, elaborate stories with well-developed characters. Others were just little snippets, lasting only a verse or two, barely more than an image. But one thing parables tend to have in common is an element of surprise. Something out of the ordinary happens, and listeners are left to make sense of that disruption. You know what I mean. A man is wounded by the side of the road, and it's not the religious leaders passing by who stop to help him, but a Samaritan, a member of this widely distrusted and despised group. A single sheep wanders off into the wilderness, and the shepherd doesn't simply cut his losses and let it go, but leaves the other 99 to go and look for that one. They're stories with a twist that nobody saw coming, where common expectations are turned upside down. Long or short, detailed or sparse, that's how parables work. They rely on the element of surprise for their power. Okay, so what about the two we have in front of us this morning? I don't know about you, but these two images Jesus gives us don't sound particularly surprising to me. The first parable we have is only found in the Gospel of Mark, and there's not all that much to say about it. A seed gets planted, and after a little time, it sprouts and grows. That's it. What could possibly be surprising about that? In the second parable, we get a little more detail, at least. 
We know the type of seed that's planted this time, and it grows a lot and puts forth branches for birds to come and rest. Lots of commentators have found surprise in the fact that it's specifically a mustard seed that Jesus is talking about here. Some describe this as a weed and as something you don't actually want around, something that gets out of hand and takes over the whole garden by itself. And I don't know very much about mustard, so maybe that's true. But Amy Gillivine, a Jewish biblical scholar, challenges that view. She says there is ample evidence that plenty of people in first century Palestine were happy to plant mustard. Not only did people use it in cooking, but it also had a variety of medicinal and healing purposes. So she says there is no reason to imagine Jesus' audience gasping in horror when he told this story about somebody planting mustard seeds. They might have done exactly the same thing in their own yards. It might sound completely normal. So on the surface, there is nothing very strange in either story. No character who behaves in some bizarre and unexplainable way. No expected outcome that's turned upside down or inside out. But these are still parables, not just miniature biology lessons from Jesus. So where's the surprise? In this case, I think the answer isn't so much in the stories themselves as in the comparison that Jesus is making. Both parables are in some way about the kingdom of God or the reign of God. And if parables were Jesus' favorite way of teaching, then the kingdom of God was his favorite subject. It's where his proclamation began. Mark tells us that when Jesus emerged from the wilderness right after his baptism, his message was that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. It's a topic he returned to again and again with image after image and story after story. I have often said that the kingdom of God is sort of God's dream for the world. I like N.T. Wright's way of phrasing it better. He says the message of the kingdom of God is Jesus' answer to the question, what would it look like if God were running this show? If God's ways were enacted, how would people treat one another? How would communities be shaped? What sort of abundant life would take root and flourish? Jesus taught about this subject all the time because, well, it is so difficult to get your mind around. The kingdom isn't only far off and heavenly. Remember, Jesus said the kingdom of God has come near. It's also not fully realized. The injustice and inequity and hunger all around in Jesus' time, as in ours, are ample evidence that the show is not being run as God intends. The kingdom is here and not here. It's already and not yet. It's as close as can be, and yet you can't simply point and say, look, there it is. See what I mean? Hard to get your mind around. And today, Jesus says the kingdom, the fullness of God's vision for this world of justice and joy is like this. It's like a person scattering seed on the ground that takes root in the dark and germinates and sprouts and grows and produces grain. It's like a mustard seed planted in the earth that grows to a great size and provides shelter for creatures in its branches. And if we listen carefully, I think there's actually plenty of surprise in thinking of the kingdom of God like that.
For one thing, there's the surprise here that the kingdom isn't something we build or make on our own. Jesus doesn't say here that the kingdom is like a piece of IKEA furniture with detailed assembly instructions, or an Excel spreadsheet where everything lines up in neat rows, or like a math problem just waiting to be solved. It is like the mysterious process of growth that takes place out of our sight, out of our hands, in the dark beneath the surface. I think we are pretty accustomed to thinking we are in charge that it's up to us to fix everything in our own lives, and in the lives of those we love, and in the world around us. We know this world isn't being run the way God intends, and who's going to fix it, if not us? We are used to thinking of things this way. But in these parables, there is a whole ecosystem at work. Soil, and water, and sunlight, and nutrients, and bacteria, and worms, all of which contributes to the growth of the seed. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain, says our translation. The Greek word there could also be translated automatically. The earth just does this on its own, with no busy meddling from people at all. I think there's a surprise there for sure whether for Mark's audience in the first century watching the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and sensing the profound uncertainty of their future, or for us looking at the great inequities of our time or the challenges our families are facing and wondering how we are ever going to get out of this mess. The kingdom doesn't rest on your shoulders, Jesus says. There are processes at work far beyond you. There is growth taking place that you cannot possibly see. So lighten up a little. It's not all up to you. I think that's one great surprise to these parables. And here's one more. We do have a role to play in this kingdom work. Because in both stories, someone is out there doing something. Someone is out there scattering seeds of possibility. She can't control everything that happens. She can't force a plant to grow. She can't determine the timeline or the outcome. But she can walk in the fields with a handful of seeds. It's not hurried, frantic work here. She walks in the fields, and then she goes home and has supper with friends, and she plays the piano for a while, and she reads a good book before bed. It's not anxious work. But it matters that she does it. It matters that she scatters the seeds, because she is part of this ecosystem, bringing about new life and growth. It matters that we make a couple hundred sandwiches to be served at the soup kitchen. And it matters that we send postcards to legislators calling for compassionate treatment of refugees here in Switzerland. It matters that we donate funds to a small project in India, assisting migrant workers who are struggling during the pandemic. And it matters that we send scholarship assistance for a few seminary students in Ethiopia. It matters that we host a small church school class online on Sunday mornings and teach the great story to our children. And it matters 
that we worship right here with an open door and we keep proclaiming a God who intends life and wholeness for the whole world. We may not see immediate results of any of those actions, but they all matter. Because while the kingdom doesn't rest on our shoulders, we have a role to play. We are part of the ecosystem, and we're meant to be out there in the fields, scattering seeds. So a month or so ago, Tom approached me about that vacant insect hotel, which he had also been keeping an eye on, and he offered to order some bees. <laughs> Maybe you all knew you could do this, but I didn't. They just come in a little cardboard tube in the mail, and all you have to do is carefully open one end and stick it into the, a spot in the insect hotel, and then sort of sit back and wait. So that's just what Tom did a few weeks ago. Maybe that sounds like cheating to some of you, <laughs> but I don't think so. Because <laughs> even with mail order bees, there are no guarantees. They are still beyond your control. You can open the tube and offer them lovely accommodations and nearby flowers to work on, and they still might fly off elsewhere. It does appear that we now have a couple residents in the hotel. You all could take a look on your way out this morning. <laughs> there is still plenty of room. It's not exactly a haven for all the lone pollinators of the old town just yet. But who knows? You never know what might come from planting a single seed. Amen.